He is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. We must not forget that heritage that God used to end slavery and to free people so that they could serve him. It's a heritage that is rich, black, and white, and people that God have used of all colors to bring us the freedom to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and to be those who are called by his name. Because he promised in Revelation he was going to bring a people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And he's faithful to that. He's a promise keeper. He has done that and he is doing that. It's interesting that our reading today, scripture reading, is found in Exodus chapter 31. And the book of Exodus, along with the theme of redemption, has always been the model for believers who also see God's work in the history of this nation through things what we celebrate in February as black history. Let's turn there to Exodus 31. We'll do our reading there. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles that you can use, just raise your hand and they'll bring one right to you. So raise your hand now if you'd like a Bible. We'll be reading in the ESV, and so if you don't have that particular version, you might want to ask the ushers for that so you can follow along with what's being read this morning. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's Word. Reading Exodus 31. Yes, only 31 today. <laughs> just one chapter. Just 18 verses. <laughs> Amen. If you haven't been part of our journey through Exodus, you know we've been through some, through some of the tough chapters, and we read three chapters in a row on a Sunday, and and four chapters again in in one Sunday. So, it's it's just kind of a refresher just to look at one chapter. All right, Exodus chapter thirty-one. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. The Lord said to Moses, "See." I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I've commanded you, 
they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read this morning. If you would, please remain standing. We will have a word of prayer together. And then our choir will come with special music. And then the preaching of God's word in this text that we just read in Exodus chapter 31. Let's bow our heads now for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for each person that you woke up this morning and gave them a heart or motivation to be here or to be with someone who had a motivation to be here. We thank you for giving us a place where we can come and worship, where we can hear your word proclaimed, where we can be encouraged by the fellowship of your saints and the hearing of your word, that we hear from you. We pray that you'd open our ears, that you would allow us to indeed hear from you, to take your word, to understand it, and to be challenged, to move, motivated to, to apply it correctly in our own lives. Lord, we pray for our sick today, some who are not here. We pray and think of Bonnie, who's in the hospital, that you would just quit continue to care for her, heal her, give her wisdom, and that willingness to go along with your purpose and your plan. We pray for healing in her life. We pray for Savannah, Lord, who had operation today, uh, this week, and we pray now that she's home that she might get the rest and the healing that, that she needs. We just pray and thank you for those who, who prayed for her and with, were, were with her. We think especially of Sister Jackie Holden, just her love and labor of just being with her to pray for her and to support and to just be a mother to her. Lord, we pray for others who um, have different challenges and ailments, whether it's soreness and back aches of uh, Lawrence and Willa and uh, uh, Willie. We just pray that you would just watch over and be with your people, that you would give them comfort and healing, and bless them, keep them, provide for them. Now, Lord, we pray that you would just use this service for your glory, that you speak to hearts right now through your word as we hear it sung, as we listen to it preached, that you might allow it to ring and linger in our memory to your Holy Spirit to make it precious and dear to us 
make it true and real, make it understandable and applicable in our lives. Do this, Lord. Do this work through your word, through your messenger today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We continue in our series in Exodus, and we find ourselves now at chapter 31. And we've seen a lot of details in Exodus. We need to keep focus as to what, what's being said and what, what the Scripture is, is um, painting a picture for us on. Here we see God is calling specific individuals for building items for worship. In chapter 18, we saw God educating Moses through his father-in-law, Jethro, and teaching him how to lead his people. In chapter 19, God is calling Moses to the mountain so that he can receive specific instructions. He's given what we would know as the Ten Commandments. In chapters 21 through 30, we see specific instructions from the Ten Commandments to teach them in their everyday lives. We noted that these aren't for our living today. The Old Testament was that commandment for Israel, and specific to Israel, and the new commandment or the New Testament showed us the Old Testament pointed to Christ and the New Testament showed us how we were to apply those truths from the Old Testament to us today. And what we find is principles that come from the Old Testament, or from God's Word, that instruct us still today, even though we don't live according to the Old Testament law in its detail, its dietary restrictions and its sacrificial instructions and so forth, that you won't see us doing today in our church, you won't see us doing in our lives. But we see a principle that's being taught, and God wants us to understand that principle. Here, what we see, can you imagine Moses being overwhelmed with all these instructions and all these details of all these things that were needed for worship? And he has to be thinking in his mind, how are we going to do all that? Where do we get this stuff from? Where, where do we get the funds to buy or to make all of these things that we need to make? We've already illustrated that God had made provision for that already. From the day they left Egypt... God had them ask their Egyptian neighbors, their masters, they were slaves there, to ask them for goods. And they gave of their goods, and in fact, they gave in such abundance, it said that Israel plundered Egypt. Now, that's a term spoken of for somebody who, a nation that, that goes to war and takes all the goodies from the nation that they just defeated in war. And yet Israel didn't have to lift a finger to fight. But they plundered the Egyptians. In other words, God already was providing all the things that he was going to require 
for them to do. There's a principle there in our lives. What God requires us to do in living godly lives, he provides for us. He makes those provisions for us. And today we're going to see specifically individuals that he equips to accomplish the task and the requirements that he's given. It says in that first verse, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. In other words, he's saying, see, notice Moses. In other words, he's saying, don't, don't, don't get discouraged that weighed, weighed down by the requirements that I put on you. I'm calling some helpers for you. I want you to recognize. I want you to notice. God provides for what he has ordered. He says, I have called. In other words, it's not up to you to recruit. <laughs> I might send you to, 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 to acknowledge who I've called, but I'm laying it on their heart to, to move in this way. Doesn't that take the weight off of us? We realize God is the one that moves hearts. God is the one that bringing his work together. He engineered, he designs, and he's bringing about the construction of it now. And he's using different people to do that. Moses is not alone in this task of making the items or providing for these items that God has ordered. He calls them specifically by name. He calls them purposely for a purpose. And so we see uh, the, the uh, uh, application in the church today. He's calling individuals. When you come into this church, we have individuals who just joined as members. We have several who are going through the new membership class. God wants to use you, and he's equipping you, and he has a purpose for you. You may not see it. You may look at the choir and say, well, maybe I don't sing. You may look at the ensemble and say, maybe I don't play a musical instrument. You may look at the preacher and say, I'm not, I'm, I don't preach. But God has called and he's equipped you with the abilities, the traits, the qualities, the gifts that he wants to use for his glory. You should be asking the question, Lord, how do you want to use me for your glory? And you may not know the clear answer to that, but what you simply should be saying, Lord, here am I, use me. And part of that using is to preparing. He's going to prepare you for what he wants you to do. Let's look at how God called these individuals. He says, I'm called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now, notice they're of the tribe of Judah. These are what we would call laymen <laughs> of the tribe of Judah. Not of the tribe of Levi, where the priests were coming from, but of the tribe of Judah. Now, you might notice Jesus himself was of the tribe of Judah. And God was showing him that he's going to be one just like you. He's going to be one that you can relate to, a fellow brother that is going to come and do God's work. God isn't just calling preachers. He's not just calling pastors and elders. He's calling individuals. He's calling people who have a heart to do the work that God has called. Some of the menial tasks that we might think of that don't get much glory, God is calling those individuals. And look how he equips them. He says, I have filled him, in verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, these are craftsmen. Why does a craftsman need to be filled with the Spirit of God? 
Why does an usher need to be filled with the Spirit of God? Why does a person who comes and cleans the church need to be filled with the Spirit of God? God wants everything that's done in his glory to be done by his power, by his might. He energizes us through his Spirit. We're given life by the Spirit. We're directed by the Spirit. We're taught and, 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 and given instruction by the Spirit. He's saying this is vital for every person that has a role in God's work to be led by the Spirit. We often think this person has a good uh, business sense, and so we can make him a deacon. We can make him an administrator. We can make him a leader in the church. Ah, not so fast. I don't care what he's done outside. If he's not filled with the Spirit... He's not of no use to God's work. And if he is filled with the Spirit, regardless of what his individual or her individual abilities are, God has a place for them and a use for them. He says that's the criteria. It's not just your natural ability. God gave you that too. But he equips his people with his power, with his energy, with his wisdom, with his insight so they might do his work work. Are you filled with the Spirit? To be filled with the Spirit first means to be trusting in Christ. The Bible says um, if you are filled with the Spirit, you are none of Christ. Romans tells us that. And he's saying everyone who is of Christ then has the Holy Spirit in them. They've been born by the Spirit. In other words, given life by the Spirit, born from above in John chapter 3, means to be given life from God. His Holy Spirit then is dwelling and directing us. Are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to him? If you're not reading God's word, then most likely you are not listening to the Holy Spirit. That's how he speaks through his word. That's why we make God's word so important and such a part of our worship time. We don't just sing. When we do sing, we sing of God's word anyway. But we preach and proclaim God's truth. It's through God's word that his spirit speaks to God's people and makes clear what his purpose is. So he's saying no matter what you're doing, you need to know something of the purpose and the will of God. You need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Notice the natural abilities that God has given these two individuals. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Look, don't you dare put someone down that doesn't do exactly what you do, as if their skill is not up to your level or their importance is not up to your level. He says, I've given even my craftsmen ability, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship. I think the word craftsmanship is important. We can notice um, there's several times in chapter 28, I'm going to look at a few occurrences of this, um, when God is describing to Moses what he wants built and what he wants done. In chapter 28, let's look at a few verses there. Chapter 28, verse 3. Can you turn it with me? The word skill or skillful or skillfully is what I want to look at. In verse 3, he says, you shall speak to all the skillful. 
skillful, who are filled with a spirit of skill. Look at verse 8. He says there, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it. The word skillfully. In other words, he wanted it done with care, with great ability. Not something just slopped together. I'm going to talk to our children later on about their school and their education, their homework. And, and, you know, when you hand that paper in, when you do an assignment, God wants that done skillfully, carefully, particularly, not just slopped together like I had to do. At, at school, I often ask students, is your name on it? But you didn't even put your name on it. In other words, you don't even want to claim it. If you don't want to claim it, why do you want to do it for God? Do it in a skillful manner is something that is emphasized in this. Look at a few other verses here. In verse 15, I'm in chapter 28 of Exodus, verse 15. It says, you shall make a breastplate of judgment in skilled work. <laughs> Can I put my emphasis on it? Don't just slop anything together and call it for the Lord. Do it with purpose and skillfully, he's saying. Verse 27 and verse 28, let's look at those. Same chapter, verse 27. He says, You shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, and it seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. Use that same word again in, chapter, in verse 28, skillfully Woven. So there's an emphasis on care and quality of the work that's being produced. He's given them natural ability. Look in verse 4. They have such a range of ability to work in all types of of materials and to produce all types of things. If you look at verse 4, it says, to devise artistic designs. I like that. It shows that God loves beauty. God loves beauty. If you look back in Genesis chapter 1, you see when God created, he looked back at it and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. It was beautiful. It was appropriate. It was something that, that represented him. God loves beauty. It talks about here artistic design. That they were to put this into their work. It says to work in gold. I'm back at chapter 31, verse 4. In silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood. To work in every craft. Wow. These individuals were very skilled God had given them these type abilities to do, to do the work that he was calling them to do. It sets a principle for us, doesn't it? It helps us to see God, God wants something that is beautiful. He orders this, and he's put these abilities in his people. But we have to think that we don't just automatically have these type abilities. These two individuals had to, had to develop their skill and their ability. So there was a school that was involved. There was some training that was involved. There was some practice that needed to be done for them to raise up to that level of skillful competence. God required that. 
We always have this thought of just come as you are, you know, in the Lord's house. Good, good enough is good enough. Just bring it in your own way. We use all these terms, and yet we forget that God requires excellence, and he's actually trained us or is training us to produce those types of things for his glory. He enjoys the artistic, skillful, uh, prepared items. You know, we all enjoy when someone does something particularly well. I can watch construction crews and, and see how they take, seems like, nothing. And, and, and as the day goes by, they produce something. And it's fun to see that. We have the uh, uh, privilege of having skillful people in our congregation. And, and uh, I think of Sister Cortina sitting there in the back. And it's fun to watch her as she does her artistic design. And she, she does, and, and she's drawing a picture right in front of us. And we're watching that come together. The skill that's required, I don't have that kind of skill, so I marvel when I see it. And even if you had that kind of skill, you still marvel to see it come about. It's taking what God had done there. But you, we need to ask, how did they get that? How do they develop that type of skill? God gives to, the, to each person abilities and skills, but he wants us to use them for his glory and to develop them, to develop them. It doesn't tell us in this passage how that would have been developed, but we know it needed to be developed. In fact, this whole passage just this shouts that, 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 the, the way that God is bringing about what he wants is by this development of his people. We can see that in the life of Moses. Moses himself was trained. We look at his training. God had him be brought up in two different places. God had him be brought up under his mom and dad's home, in, 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 in their own home. And then he also had them, had them leave that and to grow up in, 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 in the palace under Pharaoh's teaching. So he could learn this, the, the things that only kings or future kings would learn. But then he had to go back home and learn where his roots were and where his, his people stood. God was developing him and training him for the job that he had for him to do. God is developing our people right now, young and old. We think development is often for our young people. We think of uh, uh, school-age kids and then college-age kids uh, uh, individuals and as they grow and develop. But, hey, you should never stop learning and training and developing that which God gives you. I enjoy playing the trumpet because it's a challenge for me. I have to practice. I have to practice daily. I can't just pick up a horn and start blowing something. I have to develop that. We have kids today who are taking music lessons, who are, are, are doing uh, different things in the art and in theater, and they're wondering, why am I doing all this? How am I going to use all this? Why do I have to take piano lessons? I wondered that when I was a kid. Why did I take piano lessons? Why was I in Boy Scouts? Why did, why did, I, uh, why did I have to learn Spanish? Why, why, why was all this stuff taught to me? What good is it? God is training and developing. And maybe that one thing you're learning helps you understand something else. When I went into seminary and started learning Greek and Hebrew, I, I, I saw that my Spanish training had some value to it. It helped me understand languages. God is using. He's not wasting anything. 
in his development. He wants you to take it seriously. You know, I think some of us as older ones need to remind our young ones of, of some of the dumb decisions that we made or some of the mistakes that we made so that they would learn and grow from that and learn and develop. We put some of our, our tasks or some of our skills aside and, and uh, uh, we don't develop them as we should or as we could. And we need to train our young ones not to do that. And so we see that God has given these abilities. God gives something else I want us to give attention to in verse 5. Actually, verse 6, it says, Behold, I've appointed with him a holy ab. He is telling Moses, I've called Bezalel, but I didn't just call him, I called someone with him, this other young man, Aholiab. He's saying, I want them to work in partnership. He's also saying to Moses, look, you, you're not an island to do all by yourself. You're not a one-man show. I've given you Bezalel. Bezalel, you are not a one-man show. I've given to you Aholiab. I don't want you getting in your mind that is all you. You are part of a team. You're working together. There's, a, there's something that you are to accomplish that is bigger than you, that you have to work with others to accomplish this. It calls for humility. It calls for teamwork. It's called for this willingness to work alongside and with others. As a young man, I went to school for engineering, and probably one of the things that I enjoyed about engineering is often you would sit in your own place and in your own desk or your own environment, and you do your own thing. I noticed engineers had a problem working with others. They had a problem with socializing. They were often socially awkward. They were good messing with their computers and reading their books, but when it comes to, to interacting with others, they, they had issues with that. You see, God has us to work in this unit, this family, to work together, not to be isolated from one another. When he talks about his, his, his people, he calls them the body of Christ. And he says, the hand and the foot are connected and must work together in unison to accomplish the task. Everybody's not the foot. Everybody's not the hand. Let not the hand say, I don't need the foot. Don't let the foot say, I don't need the hand. Work together. You don't all do the same things, but you are all important to accomplish the task, and there's a coordination that's important. And of course, that coordination comes when we're, we're getting our commands from the head center. Christ is the head. And so that's the picture given here. Moses, I've given you a lot of stuff to do, but don't think you're going to do it all by yourself. I've given, equipped you with these men and let these men know that they are not alone, that it takes a teamwork. Let me just put a plug in. It's stuff we can't do because you ain't doing it. That you haven't given yourself to be part of a team to let it accomplish. So many people say, well, the church ought to be doing this and we ought to, y'all ought to be, they, it's usually y'all ought to be. They ought to be, instead of we, we, we. 
This stuff we're missing because you have not committed yourself to be part of this team. God is speaking to you. God tells Moses, I've called these guys. I can imagine Moses going back and saying, um, Bozello, I need to talk to you, man. God told me, and Bozello, well, God ain't told me. I'm going to wait till I hear from God. Moses is like, dude, I've been on the mountain talking to him. He gave me your name. He ain't told me. feel like that sometimes. What do you think you're here for? What do you think God gave you abilities for? He's saying get involved. Open yourself. Submit yourself to, to the work that God is calling. See the leadership that God has called and take direction from them. You know, God didn't call everybody up in the mountain. And everybody didn't want to go up in the mountain. God called Moses. Moses, I'm going to tell you, and I want you to tell others. Now, they'll know if they listen to God. But they're going to hear from you. And they're going to follow that direction. So God gave them partners and a team to accomplish what he wanted them to accomplish. Let me continue on. I like verse 11. The last phrase, according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. Did you see that? All I commanded you, they should do. In other words, that there was Moses was to translate or to transfer what God was saying so they know what to do. But then he says this. According to, I have commanded, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. In other words, it's according to God's plan and his blueprint that he happened to share with Moses. Now, that to me, I just want to mention this a little bit. It, it kind of speaks of the gifts that God had given Moses. Moses was given the uh, responsibility to listen to God and to share what God's plan was with God's people. What kind of skill did it take to do that? Moses had to be a listener, first of all, a note taker, a note taker. You get what I'm saying? He wasn't going to remember everything that God said. In fact, God wrote it down for him. That's what the tablets were. This word testimony, you ask what was in the Ark of the Covenant, it was a testimony of God. It was the tablets written by God of the Ten Commandments. God wrote it down because he, he didn't want you to, to think you had to memorize it all. You write it down. <laughs> I find myself having to do that, having to write things down because I can't depend on my memory all the time. That's a skill in taking notes. Moses had to develop that skill. Moses had to have the ability to write and communicate through writing very clearly. You understand scripture, you know the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. He wrote those. It took some skill to be able to, to, to describe something with clarity. Can I give you an example? 
Let's take a look at this. Uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 25. Let me just say it this way. Have you ever tried to put something together by instructions? You read the instructions? You know, that's why some of us just throw the instructions away because they don't seem to be very helpful. The way they're written, they're not clear. And, and, and I found out why. A lot of these things are made in, in China, and there's a translation. There's something missing in a translation. <laughs> you can see how it's worded awkwardly that somebody didn't quite know English there. Um, and so it's kind of hard following that sometimes. That's why we, we just like the pictures. <laughs> just give me a picture. Here's a screw. Here's where it goes. Takes this piece of wood with these many screws in it and attach it to this. Okay, I got that. You didn't even say any words. Just gave me a picture and it helped. There is a need for the ability to communicate with clarity so people can understand what is required of them. I wonder if God gave sketches and drawings to Moses. There's, there's this need to develop the ability to conceptualize through a drawing what it is that's required. I'm losing y'all now. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25, verse 40. You'll see what I'm talking about. Exodus 25, uh, verse 40. God explains all these things he wants made. He said this, and see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. God said, I drew you a sketch. I drew you a blueprint. And we went over that so you'd understand. Moses, what I'm saying is Moses had to go to school, didn't he? He had to learn some things so he could do the job that God called him to do. And so for our young people, we try so hard. I can't wait till I finish school. I ain't never going back. Old folks, tell them. You had to go back to school to learn the things you didn't pay attention to the first time. And that you were going to need to make a living. Don't make them, don't let them make that same mistake. Teach them the importance. So Moses had to learn some things just to be able to take what God was giving him and to communicate that to his people. Now, you, you notice we read through those when we went through those chapters, but we didn't deal with those in detail because you know why. You, you're looking at all this detail and go, lampstand, oh, table, altar, incense. You know, you, it's like too much detail. Somebody had to understand detail to communicate this. Can you imagine Bezalel and the Holy App getting the instructions and scratching their heads and saying, Moses, what you talking about? What, what did God intend here? They had to communicate that in a way, and they had to learn how to understand those types of drawings and that kind of communication so they could finish and come up with a product that God had mentioned. God also gave measurements. We have people in school, our students, I don't like fractions. I don't like math. Oh, do we got to do that? There's a purpose for that. So you might learn how to function in this world, and you're going to actually need some of those skills to do what God is calling you to do. Learn it. Apply yourself. The skill of organization. 
Can you hear Moses saying, hey, Zipporah, where did I put those sketches for the tabernacle curtains? Zipporah was his wife. We always blame it on her, right? I didn't organize. I didn't put them in the cabinet. I didn't label the cabinet. I didn't write on each sketch and, and, and say what it was. And I don't know what all this stuff is. I got all these papers and I don't know what to do. I didn't organize and put them in my folder. All right, young kids. You understand? You got a science folder. You got an English folder. You got a spelling folder. And you put your papers in them. You're learning organization. He said, this isn't godly. Ah, yes, it is. God is teaching you the skills that he wants you to have and learn so you can be a part of what he's calling you to. So it speaks to education. It speaks to training. It speaks to doing our homework. It speaks to practicing, whether it's music or singing or athletics or drama or putting model airplanes together. It's, it's, it's a skill that God is building for you to understand his creation, how it works, and how you'll use it for his glory. Proverbs 22.6, the word to parents, train up a child in the way that he should go. That first part, train them. Input into them the things that they need for this life in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. That's the principle that says, look, you get them going in the right direction, it'll be an aid to them. It's like a guidepost that they won't veer too far from that. Now, that's a principle. It's not a promise. It's not saying that everyone that you train is, is going to be exactly this or exactly that. It's a principle. You train them so they have a chance. And then it's a word to children. Take your homework seriously. Do diligence in the special projects that you have, that you're involved in. How about your work at home, your cleaning of your own room, your closet, your own materials, your clothes, your organization skills, your practicing of, of what it is you do. All those things God wants you to do diligently so that you can be the type of Bezalel or Holiab that God is calling to his work. God is developing these things in you for his glory. Now let's look at the second half of this chapter. And it is about the Sabbath. It's amazing to me how people get stuck on certain things and they lose sight of the whole principle of what God is teaching. The Sabbath is one of those things. It's a principle that God is teaching. There's many things in the Old Testament that just lay the principle for us that God wants us to understand. And the Sabbath is one of those basic ones because it's not something that's just tied to the people of Israel. We see it being repeated here with the law and the people of Israel here. But if you think back, it came right back from Genesis chapter 1. There's a principle that God made that he wants us as human beings to understand and to practice. What is that principle? 
Well, in Exodus 31, 13, he says, It's above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I'll ask first the question, what does the Sabbath show? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? What does it show? Keeping the Sabbath shows that you belong to the Lord. He says, this is a sign that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify means to set apart for his purpose. God is the one who sets you apart for his purpose. He says, you're going to practice this observance of the Sabbath to show that I'm the one that you are set apart to. I'm the one that you, your allegiance belongs to. Your worship, your focus, your devotion belongs to me. He says, that's why I want you to keep the Sabbath. That's what keeping the Sabbath is going to show. That's the principle behind all of this. You show that I submit to the one who created me and the purpose that he has for me and that he has ownership of me. He sanctifies me to himself. He sanctifies simply means he sets me apart for himself. This tie that I'm wearing is sanctified. In other words, it sits in my closet to be used for an appropriate purpose that I've deemed. I don't wear it to work on plumbing around the house, even though I did today. <laughs> I had to tell you that story. <laughs> I woke up this morning and my son and his wife had, a, had an emergency in their home where their plumbing went out. The, 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 the main pipe of their water busted, so their, their whole basement was filling with water. We were about to be on our way to church, so we made a detour. We went there first and, and went in the home. I took off my jacket. I didn't take off my tie. just took off my jacket, ran into the basement, soaking wet in my feet, and went to working on the pipes, and we couldn't get it going. We had to call the, the uh, uh, water department for them to shut the water off at the street. <clears throat> my socks are still wet. LAUGHTER <laughs> Too much information, I know. <laughs> but I went there with the intention of helping, but this tie was sanctified for Sunday morning, see? Not for plumbing work. God sanctifies you for his purpose as well. And keeping the Sabbath is to show that you are sanctified for God. That's the principle. That's a very simple, straightforward principle. Now, we get legalistic, and, 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 and we want to know, well, you know, just like the Pharisees did in Jesus' day, how much work is work? They said Jesus said to a man, rise and get up, and he worked on the Sabbath. Jesus was like, you ain't seen nothing yet. That wasn't nothing. I just spoke. That wasn't real work. <laughs> they wanted to get all legal. They missed the whole principle. You show that God is your Lord who owns you and you give to him. So here's the principle of Sabbath. Every week, once a week, we set apart time to cease work and reflect on God. 
That principle still applies today. We're not tied to the legalistic part of it. People want to argue today and have churches over which day is the Sabbath. Really? I mean, there is an answer to that. But the fact that we want to quibble over what that answer is, there's a clear answer to that. But if we want to quibble over that and what that means, we've missed the whole concept. Have you set aside in your mind every week that you're going to show your belonging to God by your ceasing from work and reflecting and worshiping God. He says, that's what I want you to do. What do we reflect on? First of all, I think we reflect, first of all, we rest and we reflect because, um, I don't know, maybe God knew that um, I'm a little different than my wife. Men, we're a little different than, than women. Women like to multitask. I'm not so good at multitasking. I got to focus on one thing at a time. My wife, she can be on the phone. She be cooking dinner, watching the news, and telling me what to do all at the same time. I just can't do it. When I'm, with the, when I'm looking at the Super Bowl, I ain't having no conversation with her or anybody else. I ain't looking at texts. I'm not looking at emails. I'm not even listening to music. I'm watching the Super That's why I don't go to Super Bowl parties. Because I'm focused. I'm not real social then. I'm looking at this. God is saying there's a part of that that's needed, and that's why there's a portion that's where you have to rest. Now, there's some things that require us to multitask, and so I, I, I don't want to beat up on, on, our, on our women because there's a part that's needed for that. You lose your sanity if you couldn't do that. But there's also a need for focus, and God's saying at least every week, once a week, you need to set aside some time where you're going to focus and reflect on God. And people say, well, yeah, I pray all the time. I, I, I worship. All. Okay, well, maybe you do. But I'm not that good at multitasking like you do. Driving to work, listening to the radio, listening to the news, in rush hour traffic, and worshiping God. I don't know how, God, I don't know how that works. I got to get alone. I got to separate myself. I got to focus. God was saying, I know this is needed, and I know that you need to take some time to cease from work and focus on me. What about God are you to focus on? Focus on that he's your creator. He's the Lord. Who is our creator? He is the Lord. What did he create? We focus on this, all, everything, including me, so I therefore belong to God. We have this false concept that God belongs to me, and I can order him around like a genie out of a bottle. No, you belong, you in his world. He created it for himself, for his glory, including you and me. 
I'm created for his glory. Jesus said in the Old Testament, what sense does it make for the clay to say to the potter, I don't like what you did? Or make me another way. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He gives the orders. He created me. I'm giving account to him, not him to me. How did he create? By his power. This is what I focus on. This is what I reflect on. He created by his power. In other words, he had the awesome ability and power to create everything that is created. Smoke that a little bit. Reflect on that a little bit. Let that get into your vein, into your system, that God made everything. He has that kind of power. How did he create? By simply speaking into existence. Won't that make your troubles melt away, or at least your anxiety over your troubles melt away? God can deal with this. He made everything. He has the power. When and what time frame did he create? In the beginning. In other words, God was there from the beginning. Nothing surprises him. And he did it in six days. The only reason not why not to think that God created in six days, I don't know we got these intellectuals and we got these academics that, that all want to join the Bible and what they call science and come up with a model that six days is six ages instead of six days. The only reason, the only reason for having to do that is you don't believe we have a God that's mighty enough to do exactly what he said. That's the only reason for coming up with that. Why don't you just believe God? That he is able to do what he said he did. Reflect on that. He's the God that created exactly how he said in the time frame. And why did he create for his glory? So we take time, we rest from our labor, and we reflect on who God is and what he has done and what that means for us today. Ultimately, it means that I submit to him. And I do it joyfully because all he's done was for my good. He had a purpose for me in all of his creation. And so it's good to rest and reflect on that regularly. So you see the principle of Sabbath is that we worship regularly. And we cease from work so we might focus on who God really is. We reflect. We rest. God is guiding his people. He's instructing them for proper worship and equipping them for that with the teamwork that he's, with the team that he's bringing together. And he's showing them, make it a practice. Not sometimes. The principle of Sabbath is regularly, in fact, every week, every week, to stop, cease, reflect, and worship God. Father, we thank you for your word today. And it speaks to our heart because it comes from you. We're convicted of how little we often we actually reflect and worship. We encourage by how powerful worship is in our lives when we look 
at who you are and what you've done. We marvel that all the things that Bazalel and Holiab were to make pointed to you, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ who was the ultimate sacrifice who would give his life by shedding his blood on a cross for us. And you want us to reflect regularly on how gracious and how glorious you are. We can't do that without acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting ourselves to him, worshiping him, glorying him, depending and trusting on him. You've made it clear, nobody can come to you except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that you guide us as we take this message throughout today, throughout this week, that it draws to a focus, a love, an appreciation, a dependency, an allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Only through him do we have deliverance from our sin and eternal life in you. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name.